Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back. I recorded last week's episode on regret, and I regret having never once mentioned my experience with regret and fertility, probably the place that I experience regret the most, and I couldn't believe it when it hit me. It didn't hit me until later that day, and I was coaching a lovely woman, a 50-year-old woman who was going through IVF treatments. She shared the statistics with me, which we all know in this fertility world. So at age 51, doing IVF, she has about a 1% chance of it working. From ages 41 to 42, the rate is about 20%. And then over 42, the rate drops to about 5%. So why would she want to do this? Why would I want to do this when the numbers are more likely that it will not work? It all comes back to regret. So I asked her, will you regret it if you don't try? And she said, yes. That's the answer. That's what regret is about. You are much more likely to regret not trying, to not taking action, than you are to regret trying and failing. So the question I ask myself over and over again is, will I regret not trying again? And is there something in your life that you're too afraid to do because you're afraid you might fail? Can you ask yourself, will you regret not trying because more than likely you will not regret trying and failing if you do fail. So this week we are finishing up chapter three of Atlas of the Heart. Places we go when things don't go as planned. We've already explored boredom, disappointment, expectations, and regret. This week we're going to finish it up with discouragement, resignation, and frustration. So when you feel discouraged, resigned, and frustrated, they are all ways that we feel when things don't go or didn't go as desired. Here's a simple way from Atlas of the Heart to think about the differences between some of these emotional experiences. So when we're disappointed, we think to ourselves, it didn't work out how I wanted, and I believe the outcome was outside of my control. That's disappointed. Regretful. It didn't work out how I wanted, and the outcome was caused by my decisions, actions, or failure to act. That's regretful. And then discouraged. I'm losing my confidence and enthusiasm about any future effort. I'm losing the motivation and confidence to persist. That's discouraged. Resigned is I've lost my confidence and enthusiasm about any future effort. I have lost the motivation and confidence to persist. That's resigned. And then frustrated. Something that feels out of my control is preventing me from achieving my desired outcome. Frustrated. So feeling discouraged and resigned is about effort rather than the outcome. 
with discouragement, we're losing the motivation and confidence to continue with our efforts. With resignation, we've lost the motivation to keep trying. And frustration, it sometimes overlaps with anger. Both anger and frustration can result when a desired outcome is blocked. The main difference is with frustration, we don't think we can fix the situation, while with anger, we feel there's something we can do. So let's take a closer look at discouragement, feeling discouraged. This is, I'm losing my confidence and enthusiasm about any future effort. I'm losing the motivation and confidence to persist. Feeling discouraged is about the effort rather than the outcome. And with discouragement, we're losing the motivation and confidence to continue with our efforts. So let's think about it this way. Your friend, she is thinking about quitting her job and moving to Alaska to start a reindeer farm. You might discourage her by pointing out that she is, number one, allergic to reindeer, and number two, she hates the cold. So when you discourage someone, you try to talk them out of doing something by pointing out reasons why their planned action might be unwise. And the verb discourage has its roots in the French word discourager, which comes from day, meaning away, and courage. So basically, it means when you discourage someone, you take away their courage or enthusiasm. I love thinking about it in this way from the etymology. I've been discouraged many times in my life. And so this is examples of when I'm losing the motivation and confidence to continue. So trying to conceive, it's been over five years and I'm discouraged. I'm losing the motivation and confidence to continue. Being an entrepreneur for the last 17 years, I have experienced feeling discouraged so many times. When I try something new and it doesn't work out as planned, when I launch a new product or service and it flops, it can be discouraging. In relationship with others, I can feel discouraged. When it feels like you're hitting a brick wall over and over again, when you what you want in a relationship and what they can give are two very different things. When it feels like you're on entirely different pages, you lose the motivation and confidence to persist. I looked up some studies and research has shown that having social support can help individuals cope with discouragement and reduce the negative effects it can have on their mental health. Studies have shown that social support can help individuals bounce back from setbacks more quickly. So basically, the people you surround yourself with matters. If you surround yourself with people who can support you when you are feeling discouraged, you will bounce back more quickly. And as Oprah says, only surround yourself with people who are going to lift you higher. I agree. Self-talk or the inner dialogue that individuals have with themselves can play a role in how individuals respond to discouragement. So studies have shown that positive self-talk can help individuals feel more hopeful and motivated in the face of discouragement. So Masterclass, if you've ever seen things on Masterclass, they had an article, Six Ways to Practice Positive Self-Talk Daily. So. Number one, check in with yourself throughout the day. Set reminders. You can even just set an alarm to go off on your phone every couple hours. Check in, especially when you're having a bad day. Take a moment to pause. Consider whether you're focusing on positive or negative things. Ask yourself, what would a loved one say to me if they knew I was talking to myself this way? 
If you start to fixate on negative thinking patterns, use your coping skills to flip the script. Number two, incorporate positive thinking into your routine. Make positive thinking a part of your daily routine by listening to an uplifting podcast, reading an inspirational book, writing in a journal. I always like to start my day and finish my day with some sort of positive intention, whether it's journaling or, you know, I'll be lying in bed before I go to sleep saying positive affirmations to myself, whatever that looks like. Refer to yourself in the second or third person. Creating psychological distance in your self-talk can improve your self-image and performance. So instead of speaking to yourself in the first person, try using second and third person pronouns. For example, instead of saying, I am a kind person, say, you are a kind person. And this can really work. I'm in a writing group. And when one of us is really stuck writing something that may be traumatic or challenging, Often the way in is through writing it in the third person. So try this one out. Number four, start your day with positive affirmations. Rehearsing positive statements first thing in the morning can set you up to have a positive outlook for the rest of the day. Try rehearsing positive self-talk statements in the mirror while you get ready. You might repeat to yourself, you are smart, you're brilliant, you are kind, you are capable, you are loved. And I love seeing the videos of little kids on TikTok declaring their affirmations in the mirrors. Be like them. You can even get a marker and I think it's dry erase markers and write positive affirmations on your mirrors. So it's the first thing you see in the morning. Surround yourself with people who make you feel good. The company you keep can have a massive impact on your self-image. If your friends are negative, self-defeating and overly critical, you might consider seeking companions who can encourage you to prioritize your well-being and practice self-love. Number six, work with a professional. Starting new habits can be challenging. If you need help implementing positive self-talk strategies, consider consulting a healthcare professional, a therapist, a coach. They can help you provide examples of positive self-talk and help you develop self-care habits. So those are six ways to practice positive self-talk by Masterclass. So now let's talk about the impact of goal setting on discouragement. Setting and pursuing goals can help individuals actually stay motivated and focus, which can reduce feelings of discouragement. Studies have shown that having specific challenging goals can be particularly effective in preventing discouragement. My two favorite books for goal setting, and they are completely different ways of looking at it, are number one, Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones by James Clear, which of course I'll link to in the show notes. And then The Four Tendencies. This is by Gretchen Rubin. It's The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles That Reveal How to Make Your Life Better and other people's lives better too. This book goes into looking at habits in a different way of in alignment with who you are and your personality. And once you know that, you can more easily make goals that are going to be able to set for you based on your personality. So I love that book. 
The role of resilience in discouragement. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from setbacks and adversity. And research has shown that individuals who are more resilient are better able to cope with discouragement and are less likely to experience negative effects on their mental health. So resilience is a good thing when it comes to discouragement. And then the effects of mindfulness on discouragement. Mindfulness involves paying attention to the present moment without judgment. Studies have shown that mindfulness can help individuals manage negative emotions, including discouragement. And what Atlas of the Heart has taught me, and it's one thing I've talked about on this podcast, and it's come up over and over again. So it's one thing to feel our quote-unquote negative emotions, but it makes everything much worse is how we actually judge ourselves for having those. So allow yourself to feel the negative emotions and don't judge yourself for having them. All right, frustration. Let's take a look at frustration. So what Brene said about frustration is it's something that feels out of my control is preventing me from achieving my desired outcome. Frustration can overlap with anger. Both anger and frustration can result when a desired outcome is blocked the main difference is with frustration, we don't think we can fix the situation. And while with anger, we think there's something we can do. So some key findings from the research on frustration include frustration can have negative effects on our cognitive functioning. Studies have been shown that when individuals are experiencing frustration, they may have difficulty with problem solving, decision making, other cognitive tasks. It can lead to aggressive behavior. When individuals are frustrated, they may be more likely to act out in aggressive or violent ways. This is particularly true when the frustration is prolonged or intense. And frustration can have a negative impact on our well-being. People who experience frequent or chronic frustration may be at increased risk for a range of mental health issues, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, Frustration can be managed with coping strategies. Individuals who are able to effectively cope with frustration may be better equipped to deal with challenges and setbacks that life inevitably brings. Sometimes I've felt frustrated, which is those times when it feels like something is out of my control, preventing me from achieving my desired outcome. This is in relation to my body. This one definitely applies to fertility. It applies to my gut health. It applies to trying to conceive. This could be cancer, chronic illness, other ailments that affect the body. It can feel frustrating, like it's somehow out of your control. I think sexism and racism can apply here. When something is preventing you from achieving your desired outcome, so when our culture has these limits or your work environment has this experience, it can be really frustrating. It can stop you from achieving your desired outcome. The weather, when you have plans and the weather completely ruins them with a blizzard, tornado, whatever, you feel frustrated because something completely out of your control is preventing you from your desired outcome. That's frustration. COVID, this was a big one. COVID was absolutely frustrating, preventing us from so many of our desired outcomes. To this day, there are still travel restrictions to certain places and it's like, that is out of our control, completely frustrating. And like with all of our negative emotions, there can be a positive side to them. 
And one of the really interesting things that I found while researching for this episode was the connection between creativity and frustration. This comes from a TED Talk by Tim Harford. Of course, I'll link it in the show notes. And it is how frustration can make us more creative. So he started out by telling a story about in 1975, a 17-year-old, Vera Brandis in Germany, she was the youngest concert promoter. She had persuaded the Cologne Opera House to host a late-night jazz concert of American musician Keith Jarrett. 1,400 people were coming, and the piano that Keith was to play was no good. Keith came in, he tried, he tested out the piano, and he told Vera he needed a different piano. The wrong piano had been delivered. This one had a harsh, tinny upper register. The black notes were sticking. The white notes were out of tune. The pedals didn't work, and the piano was just too small. So Vera did her best to get a replacement, but on such a short notice, she couldn't get a piano, but she was able to get a piano tuner, which helped a little. She went back to Keith and she begged him to play anyways. This was her first big concert at 17 years old. He took pity on her and he said, I hope you remember this. This is only for you. And a few hours later, frustrated and challenged, he sat down and played. He was forced to play differently than he had ever played before. He was skipping keys that were sticking. He was playing harder on certain keys. It was wild. And something magical happened. It was an electrifying performance. The audience loved it. And it has gone on to become the best-selling piano album in history and the best-selling solo jazz album in history, all coming from a place of frustration. So cognitive psychology, we actually have known for a while that certain kinds of difficulty, certain kinds of obstacles can actually improve our performance. For example, the psychologist Daniel Oppenheimer a few years ago teamed up with high school teachers. He asked them to reformat the handouts they were giving to some of their classes. So the regular handouts would be formatted in something straightforward. These are like our normal fonts that we see, Helvetica, Times New Roman. But then half of the classes were getting handouts that were formatted in some sort of intense font something like Comic Sans italicized with a zesty bounce. And these are really difficult fonts to read. But at the end of the semester, students were given exams and the students who had been asked to read the more difficult fonts had actually done better on their exams in a variety of different subjects. And the reason is the difficult font had slowed them down and force them to work a bit harder, to think a bit more about what they were reading, to interpret it. And so they learned more. Hence, the frustration actually helped them learn. And then Tim Harford in his TED Talk goes on to share about Brian Eno, who is an ambient composer. He is the catalyst behind some of the greatest rock and roll albums of the last 40 years. He's worked with David Bowie, Coldplay, U2, Eric Clapton. How does he have such great success? Well, he disrupts their process. He frustrates the musicians. He actually created a deck of cards, which you can buy, which are called the Oblique Strategies. 
And whenever he sees a band, a musician stuck in the studio, he'll reach for one of the cards at random and make the band follow the instructions. For example, one of the cards says, change instrument roles, and everyone in the band has to swap instruments. The cards are disruptive, and the musicians hate them. So this is the key finding that I have learned about frustration is frustration can help us solve problems. It can help us become more creative. However, we don't actually feel that it's helping us. So just because you don't like it doesn't mean it isn't helping you. So the next time maybe you or your child is experiencing frustration, let them be frustrated. You never know what kind of creativity will come out of it or what kind of learning will come out of it. And the last emotion I want to cover today is resignation, this feeling resigned. From Atlas of the Heart, Brene says, I've lost my confidence and enthusiasm about any future effort. I've lost the motivation and confidence to persist. So feeling discouraged and resigned is about effort rather than outcome. And with discouragement, we are losing the motivation to continue with our efforts. But with resignation, we've lost it. We have lost the motivation to keep trying. So when have you lost the motivation to keep trying? Is that it could be when you've resigned from a job, it could be resigning, leaving a relationship, even a hobby, when you've lost the motivation to keep trying. One study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that resignation can be a coping mechanism that individuals use to deal with negative life events. The study suggested that individuals who are more likely to resign themselves to their fate tend to have better mental health outcomes than those who fight against their circumstances. So this is leading me to believe there's this connection between acceptance and resignation and that acceptance is what ultimately can lead to these better mental health outcomes. Another study published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology found that resignation can be a positive emotion that allows individuals to let go of unrealistic expectations and focus on the present moment. The study suggested that individuals who are able to accept their circumstances and move on are more likely to experience greater emotional well-being than those who dwell on negative events. And a third study published in the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology found that resignation can have negative effects on individuals' physical and psychological health. The study suggested that individuals who feel resigned to their work situations are more likely to experience burnout and other negative health outcomes. So overall, the research on resignation resignation suggests that it can be both a positive and negative emotion, depending on the context in which it's experienced. While resignation can help individuals cope with negative events and let go of unrealistic expectations, it can also lead to feelings of hopelessness and despair if not properly managed. Have you heard of the term, the great resignation? It's a term that refers to a trend in which large numbers of people voluntarily leave their jobs or consider leaving them. And this trend has been observed since COVID-19 began in early 2020 and has continued throughout these last few years. The pandemic caused many, many people to reevaluate their priorities, think about what they want from their careers and lives. And some realized they wanted or even needed more flexibility. 
better work-life balance or the ability to work from home. Others have decided to pursue different careers, start their own businesses, or take time off to focus on personal pursuits. And as a result, many employers are experiencing higher than normal turnover rates, which has led to this term, the great resignation. The trend has significant implications for the labor market, as well as employers who need to work harder to retain employees and attract new ones. The last thing I want to mention about when we feel discouraged, resigned, or frustrated all comes back to something that continues to show up through many of the emotions on this podcast. And I've talked about it many times, and I'm going to keep talking about it until we all just know it by heart. And this is self-compassion. When we are feeling these emotions, the best thing we can do is first identify what it is we're feeling. Now that you know, there are differences between feeling discouraged and resigned and frustrated. So once we have that language, we identify what it is we're feeling then we can offer ourselves self-compassion. And Kristen Neff, she's the expert on this, and I keep referring back to her. She says we need three things. The first is we need self-kindness versus self-judgment. So if we're discouraged, we're feeling resigned, or we're feeling frustrated, we need to be kind and understanding towards ourselves. We need to recognize that experiencing life difficulties is inevitable and be gentle with ourselves. So giving ourselves kindness. The second one is common humanity versus isolation. Recognizing that suffering, and in this case, feeling discouraged, resigned, or frustrated are all a part of the human experience. We all go through it. Once we recognize that we are not alone, it can help us shift our perspective. And the third thing is mindfulness, which has come up many times throughout this podcast already. So mindfulness versus over-identification. Kristen says mindfulness is a non-judgmental, receptive mind state in which one observes thoughts and feelings as they are without trying to suppress or deny them. We can't ignore our pain and feel compassion for it at the same time. So, as is with all of the emotions we've explored thus far, there seems to be a light and a dark side to them. So feel the feelings. You have to feel your feelings. Identify what it is you're feeling. And then to go further, I would say, see what you can learn from it. If you're feeling frustrated at work, is there a way to change that? If you're feeling resigned at work, is it time for you to leave? And the same can go and be applied to relationships. Our emotions are like tunnels. We are meant to go through them, not to get stuck in them. And I want to leave you with a poem from my favorite poetry book on emotions, To All the Magic in Me by Pavita Singh, which is a collection of love letters to all of life emotions. And this one is to frustration. Dear frustration, ugh, ugh, fuck. Sharp exhales accompanied by lip trills, other expletives, and sometimes screams. These are some of the noises you make when you leave my body. You exponentially increase my heart rate, drawing mountain ranges on an EKG. You make me wonder, what is wrong with myself? What is wrong with the world? You make me question why we can't move faster, why we can't do better, making you one of the top drivers of change 
of progress. Thank you, frustration. Love me. And now go be brave enough. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.